Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Steve McQueen's new thriller, Widows. Set in Chicago, the film stars Viola Davis as Veronica, who is widowed after her husband is killed by police following an armed robbery attempt. Veronica soon joins forces with three other widows, who have nothing in common except for their husband's outstanding criminal debts and a desire to shape their own futures to enact a heist that her husband had been planning. In addition to Widows, Mr. McQueen's directorial credits include the feature films Hunger and Shame, the pilot of the series Codes of Conduct, and the short film art pieces Static, Deadpan, Exodus, and Bear. He was nominated for both the DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Feature Film and the Academy Award for Best Director for his 2013 film, 12 Years a Slave. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. McQueen spoke with director Dee Reese about filming Widows. During their conversation, Mr. McQueen discusses what drew him to adapt the BBC miniseries from 1983 as a feature film, how his roots in contemporary art influence his directorial style, and the wisdom of letting the characters tell you how to shoot a scene. Thank you for coming on your Saturday night. <laughs> Good. It's, it's just really my, my honor to get to sit and talk to you about your craft. And one of the things that I was most excited about was, you know, looking at your, your work in modern art and, you know, uh, thinking about the 2009 Biennale where your piece called Giardini, which is about absence in a way, and is also presented in this kind of two-channel style. And then in 2015, your work Ashes, which uh, simultaneously projects like a young man living side by side with an image of his, of his, you know, ending. And so I wondered how that kind of binocular point of view informed how you edited this, this film or how you shot the film also. Uh, um, well, uh, it's kind of interesting how sort of art and, 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 and my artwork and the film work, how, and people always ask, does one sort of, uh, are they, uh, is one different from the other? And the only way I can sort of truly sort of uh, speak about it is if, is if as a writer you write poetry and then you, you, you write the, the yarn, a, a novel, You're using the same materials, the same words, but to say the same things but differently. Poetry being fractured, abstract, you know, um, compressed, concise, two paragraphs possibly, and a novel being like, I don't know, over 100, 200 pages to say the same thing. So it's just using a camera differently to say the same things. So, uh, and that's, you know, again, narrative feature films, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, it's one of those things. And again, the funny thing with poetry and contemporary art, just as a, as a novel and film, hardly anyone reads, you know, poetry <laughs> anymore. And, you know, not a lot of people are, are averse to contemporary art. So it's just one of those, it's just interesting how those two things are alive but different. 
Yeah, in, in, in the opening of the film was especially present, you know, intercutting kind of like the, the heist where, where Harry is supposedly murdered with mm. like lovemaking. And so with each of the women kind of intercutting kind of like the present versus, you know, what happened. And then also I was interested in, you know, you deal a lot obviously with like absences and just starting with the name Widows itself is someone who's defined by an absence. And mm. so I really appreciate how throughout the film you kind of played with that and how in the death of the son there is revealed like this absence that we've been aware of in mm -hmm. the same way we reveal the presence of the husband who we hadn't seen. So I wanted to wait, you know, if you could talk about how you played with absence and the blocking and in the, the staging. Sure. Well, the beginning of the picture, what I wanted to establish from the get-go was these two people who are passionately in love. And, and you know, again, it's just to see two people over the age of 40 having sex. And actually, we do have sex over 40 people. It does happen. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Ha, hurrah. And um, <laughs> long may it last. Anyway, um, moving on swiftly. To, <laughs> and the fact that you have this sort of, uh, you know, you have this two, you know, People of, 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 of different, with different backgrounds, different races, who love each other, so we have established this. And then with the intercutting, what I wanted to do, was I want to have a, a caress and a slap, a caress and a slap, a caress and a slap. So as soon as you got into it with your popcorn or your soda, you were going from naught to 60, with you know, popcorn flying on your chest, your soda spill, but you're in, you were in the movie. So by the time you had the title, uh, Widows, uh, pops up on the screen the type of the, 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 the text, you were like, oh, okay, I'm in. You know, the door had shut, you're in, you're, you're strapped in to, for, for, the, for the rest of the story. So, and that absence, again, yes, it's beautiful what you said that, I love that. We said that you're defined by absence. That's gorgeous. Um, I don't think I can say, add to that, because it's so beautiful how you said that. Defined by absence. I think, you know, often we are all are at a certain point, we're all kind of widows or, or we all, at one point, or we will become sort of uh, orphans or half-orphan mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters or people we love that we, we're lost. And I think what's genius about Viola Davis in that role is that from day one, she's carrying a weight. And that weight is not just a loss, of course, we know of, of a husband, there's another loss. We, we, and often you, you say to yourself, when you look at this, this character, um, Veronica, you think, well, she's such a... She, yeah, thank God for the dog, it makes it a little bit human. <laughs> but then again, you, the dog in some ways, you understand the dog even more in retrospect. So, you know, Viola is such an amazing actress in some ways, she's, she's an she's a iceberg. Because even a t turning of a door handle has so much weight. And that's, that, that, yeah, so it's gorgeous. I love that. Where you said, your, your presence is defined by absence, loving it. Yeah. Sorry. And, so, <laughs> Sorry. And, and then I wonder, like, were you playing with that idea in the palette of the film, like in the wardrobe, the black and the white feels very stark and present, and with Stockhausen, like, the, the, the sets feel like they're playing very much with black and white. Was that yeah. also present? I mean, you know what, there was a, we had a genius situation with Adam Stockhausen and, 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 and Jenny, um, goodness gracious, Egan. I'm meeting. Sorry? Egan? Oh, sorry. It's Jenny who? Egan, yeah. Jenny Egan, who I'm meeting for dinner tonight, would you believe? Outrageous. <laughs> Don't tell I, I, I the mind fart there. I apologize. Uh, Jenny Egan and, and, and uh, um, Adam Stockhouse, they had a really wonderful relationship and just working together with the palette and, and, and of course, uh, Sean Bobbitt, genius cameraman. So that was, that was interesting. And again, and, and again, I was arguing with Jenny about, does she, why would she wear that? Uh, 
steer, shoot this, and, and then you say, okay, okay, go, 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 go for it. And all of a sudden, it's amazing. That, that red jumper that, for example, she's wearing just before she opens the door to Harry, she looks like some, like some French movie from the 70s. There's some kind of chicness. And I don't, you don't often see black women looking, you know, like the black women I know, like, you know, crisp and sharp. And so there she is. In a, in a full of her, of her glory. That black woman that I see, you know, walking in the street, goes, damn, where'd she get that cashmere coat from? Damn, that's her. And she's, she's, she's alive and she's well. And she's in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. And so speaking of Chicago, you, you, you mentioned Chicago being a site, you know, that was very particular to tell the telling of the story. So I wonder if you could talk more about that in Chicago. Um, I love the shot that you did where, you know, we see, um, Mulligan kind of leave like this vacancy of his father's manipulation, get in a car and we whiz through space, you know, with all these territorial kind of like yard signs about his father's presence or about his mm. soon to be presence. And then he gets out on the other side of the car and you show how you turn two corners mm. and like the world is different in like a single shot. It was genius. Well, I think, well, the first time I actually went to Chicago was 22 years ago um, with my then girlfriend who now is my wife. I was, I, I did a, sh I did a sh my, it was my first solo show uh, exhibition uh, as an artist. I did it at Museum of Modern Art uh, of Chicago in 1996. At the same time, there was a democratic convention when Bill Clinton was president and my wife was sort of covering that as a journalist. So I always say my first footprint in, in Chicago was art and politics. And ever since just going there back and forth, you know, you, you know, as a, you know, to get to understand the Midwest is, is kind of interesting. And, when I was in Chicago the first time, the segregation was really kind of, you know, it was really kind of evident. And, you know, I remember my mother came with me at the, at the retrospective at the, at the uh, I can't remember, what was, what was it? It was the, uh, it was the museum in, in, in Chicago, uh, the American large one. And my mother was shocked at the, at the homeless people, black people in the streets, like, what's going on here? What, 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 what is it? But then, of course, when you find out, when you live in Chicago, you find out how segregated it is. And the political sort of, uh, you know, you know, sort of intrigues and the corruption and the, and the police and everything else, churches, the whole mechanism of that city, the aldermen, the the the, the wards. I don't know how everything is interlinked. It's, it's almost like a an old sort of phone exchange. Everything is interlinked, and the, the phrase that which I really sort of uh, which took my sort of fancy when I was in Chicago. I got a guy. Everyone's got a guy. You want hockey tickets? The police go, hockey tickets, I got a guy. Everyone's got a, you're, you're the police, you got a guy? How's that? Wait. So there's a situation where everything is sort of interwoven. And that's what I wanted to sort of look at. Um, I'm going on a bit, but okay. So the, the car ride. Um, the car ride was how would you, again, I'm an English director, so we're always trying to stretch a pound. You know, how, how, how do you do most without, with less and the whole idea of that of that narrative in some ways you're pulling your it's mobile it's a mobile shot so you're actually dragging the narrative actually dragging the narrative uh, visually uh, and therefore you get five narratives in there you get the sort of trans the transformation of from a poor you know predominantly black and african-american neighborhood to a predominantly white and um, upper middle class neighborhood just through the car ride. As well as that, you understand that Jack doesn't give a damn about the people you spoke about. You understand that you know, he's his mother's child, meaning that he has a riff with his father. And that Siobhan, who doesn't say anything in the whole entire film, is very vocal in the car, pushing Jack to be uh, the mayor and to sort himself out. Um, so that's, you get so much narrative in, in just by that movement. Uh, and that's what I wanted to, to portray. Um, and, and of course, 
the geography in Chicago is there. I didn't have to make it up. It's just there. And I, 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 well, I'm, I'm one last thing before. I don't bring my stencil onto a situation. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this here. It's what's the, what is this narrative telling me? What is this location telling me? Because often when you write something and you get there, it's like completely different to what you wrote. So therefore you have to change and you have to sort of, um, how can I say, you have to sort of, uh, the word is collaborate with the environment. So whatever the environment asks or needs, you have to accommodate that, not me, it. Mm -hmm. I, was, I thought it also very interesting how, you know, these women, you know, so on the macro level, this is obviously a story, you know, that, that talks about redistricting and gerrymandering, which we've just dealt with, of course, in our country and are still dealing with. And in a way, these women are redrawing the boundaries of their lives, so they're redistrict, redistricting their own existence in a way. Yeah. And so what I thought was interesting was how they used the kind of tropes or they use the stereotypes to do that. So they play a lot with hierarchy. Oh, my boss really needs me to do this. And there's, oh, my husband, oh, you know, so they, they code switch and use hierarchy. So they're using kind of like the faults of the system yes. to employ people, you know, to, to get people to help them, so. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the line, you know, you know, you know, you know what was the line that, uh, was it, uh, she says, because, uh, because we're women, and, and, and I don't think we have the balls to do this. It's you know using all those powers that one has and, and reversing it. You know, so it's almost like Tai Chi, using that sort of un unfortunate sort of uh, repression and, and turning it into and reversing the energy. And I think what's interesting about these these women, uh, for me, was that I identified with those women when I first saw this TV show uh, in '93, uh, April '93, looking at the TV screen for the first time. I saw myself in a way. Um, it wasn't Sean Connery playing 007. It wasn't Johnny Weissmuller playing Tarzan, who I, you, as you, as as we all, I mean, and, and women, and of course minorities know this. You become that person on the screen. You become the hero because you got no one else to identify. Because that's what this is, that's what it's showing you. So for the first time, I saw these four women who were being judged by their appearance and being deemed as not capable. I saw them sort of have this journey. Um, you know, surfing, navigating, and sort of putting on its head stereotypes. I saw myself, and it was extremely exciting. Um, yeah, it was one of those things, and I just kept it in my pocket for 35 years, oh, but true. Yeah. And I wonder if you could talk about how, um, you know, is this film about, like, inheritance in a way? Because it feels like, in, the, in this sense, it's, it's, it's like a negative inheritance almost, where, you know, Mulligan is trying to, like, you know, inherit the ward, you know, and um, there's that great line that Manning has, you don't inherit a ward, you run for it. Mm -hmm. And then in many ways, you know, this debt feels like okay. something that's been kind of handed down. Well, I can ask this question, this, this film for me is about the fundamental, is, is about the fundaments of America as, as an outsider, as I see it. Um, and what I mean by that, I mean, you know, this country is, is, is you know, is basically, um, the foundation of this country is, is, of course, genocide and slavery. But on top of that, <laughs> which is, uh, on top of that, is this fantastic thing that people from all over the world have come here from different circumstances and different ways and made this nation, made this America. So you're all Americans, and you, but you know your your parents or your grandparents are all from somewhere else, and that's pretty bloody amazing. And you know and you do it to, you know, you, so you, you being American, you, you make the country. Uh, so these four women from different social and economical backgrounds come together and make this team. And they make this team, and they couldn't do it without, they can't do it without each other. 
They have to do it together. Otherwise, hey, it, it was impossible. Just like Veronica said, you know, we, we, we can't do it on our own. So they come together to achieve this goal, okay, this heist. So that's, for me, fundamentally American. And it's, this is not I'm, not, I'm not doing a situation where, you know, hey, let's do a, 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 a diverse uh, movie. I don't give a F about that. This is Chicago, you know, and this is what, what, what happens from different parts of the backgrounds. Now, I'm not flexing one's muscles. I just want to reflect the cinema-going audience. They deserve to be seen on the screen. The people go and, and pay for the movie, they deserve to be, be seen on the screen. So what I'm saying at the end of the day, I'll, I'll cut it short, is that um, for me, that's America. So therefore, the fact that right now, unfortunately, that there's someone trying to sort of pull that or rip that apart, that foundation, it's kind of like suicide. It doesn't, doesn't make, you can't. Because you do that, it doesn't, it's, it's chaos. It's, it's a weird thing. So that's why I was, if anything, if there's some kind of thing about this movie, like, that, but, which is very fundamental to me, it's that. And it's so clear as day as an, as an outsider looking in, looking in. And I wonder if you could talk about, yeah. I wonder if you could talk about the scene where we first really understand, you know, kind of the the potential of Daniel Kaluuya's character, the way you lull us into feel. It's like the way you use the camera language and blocking to to create tension and to, to lull us in a false sense of safety. So it's this swirling steady cam as we're into this hip hop oh, and it's feeling okay. good, and then more momentum it gains, then suddenly it's cut short. And the same thing like with the proximity. So when Daniel's close, we feel like ah, oh, here's the threat, and then when he backs off, we think. Oh, it's okay, and then it's actually like when he's farther, when the punch comes, and even like the camera movement, you know, no. becomes fluid. Stop. That's great. Okay, oh blimey, this is good. forgive me. Great questions. It's, no, I'm not being funny. It's beautiful. No, it's gorgeous. <laughs> well, it's like your your questions are like gorgeous. Like you write that. Well, you do write, so that's why you're so good. There you go. Um, well, it's again, it's about the character and what the character needs and what, what the character is, um, how I bring myself to the character. And often it is a puzzle, it is a question. Um, because I don't, you know, you don't know until you see it and, and you write it, but you see it and then who is that person? Okay, so you have Jamal. You have Jamal. Now Jamal is a, a man who is a soldier. Jamal is a person who has been living with violence, lived with violence. Violence is, is, is something that he's very much used to. Maybe he was used to it in a domestic situation and other situations, but he's a soldier. So he, he's, he has, you know, he's killed people. Um, so when we first see Jamal, um, we have a situation where he, uh, uh, by the time we get to Jamal in, in, in this movie, he's bored of violence. You know, when someone, you, 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 you do this thing so often, you get bored of it. So then, what happens when you get bored of it? You get perverse. You, 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 you get perverse with it. So therefore, you have that beginning scene with two guys rapping, whatever, and then Jamal is, sorry, Jutem is sort of getting into it, whatever, and then he takes out his gun and bang. But before you see him do that, he's, he's reading a book, he's interested in something else. He's interested in, in some, you know, he's, he's getting bored. He, he wants to go further than he, what he knows right now. And then, so therefore the camera, it's, it's almost for me, it was, was almost like, a, it's almost like a, a reel. So when they're rapping, we could, it's, you're literally rapping around the, the you know, world winning around these men. It's like, a, it's a record, isn't it? And all of a sudden, boom, it stops. And then we go on. So the second time we see him, 
with violence. He is, again, he's perverse. The guy in the wheelchair, he's, he's prodding him, forgive me, with a knife and whatnot. And then the last time we see him, he's so bored of violence that he doesn't even participate. He watches TV, but that's the character telling me how to shoot the picture. You know, because actually, I actually had some more stuff actually. After you know, he sits down with some more, sees some acts of violence, or he he goes out of the room. The guy comes back in, and I thought, no, no, let's cut it there. Let's cut it with him sitting on the TV, sitting and watching the American football. He's so bored. He's so numb. That's the question. That's the word. He's so numb to it by that time. Um, so that's the character, and it's a sad portrayal, but it's 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 quite indicative, unfortunately, of what's going on. Not, in, not just alone, not in this country, but in, 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 in London with knife crime. And some of the images, it just some of it reminds me of Carrie James Marshall, like the portraiture, like Veronica clutching this very white dog or Daniel Kaluuya in a black suit against a black chair. You know, like I just love the way, you know, you cast films and I love the way you lean into it and the constant juxtaposition, you know, uh, Veronica's hand exploring like a stark white pillow and like the way you kind of play with that, you know, that constant kind of contrast and daring us to think or even like Alice then holding or, or not not Alice the um I forget like the new wife's name like with the white baby and then uh so it's just just really interesting I, I guess it's not a question it's a compliment but I just wondered if you could talk about like yeah. as you think about who touches and touch and and what you're looking for when you're getting well, that sensory I kind think of thing. it's again I think it's to do it's you know if a, if like touching and smell, these things which we never get to do for the sitting that we can't really get it on the, you know, from cinema, but you can do it through composition. You can get it through color. You get it through sound that sort of, those kind of things I'm just sort of uh, very much sort of um, alert, alert to because I want, I mean, for example, the dog and Veronica, it softens Veronica, you know, because she's kind of hard and that dog, Gives her kind of a humanity in a way. Oh, cool. Well, she can't be that bad because she's she got this fluffy thing, and it kind of you 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 take you laugh a little bit. You take, but then again, the dog is deadly serious, and what the dog actually does, because at first it's got this fluffy dog, but then this is a dog that smells Harry's scent. This is a dog that is her only companion because her husband has died and she has no son. I imagine she had a, she obviously she had, she had a dog. Once a son died, so it's a serious, you know, it's, it's a quite serious situation, the dog. But it's a, it's, it comes in a false disguise. So the, the composition of with, with, with Veronica in any situation with the dog or not the dog, it it it, it does something to you mentally when you when Veronica's talking, she's holding a dog, she's saying, you, you know, you guys, someone someone died. Do you know what? You, are you ready for this? And she's got a dog. It, it does something to you looking at her. Uh, uh, the other thing you, you were saying, uh, um, oh, cool, blimey, I can't remember. What were you saying? It's just like the, the touch her hand on a pillow, oh, exploring oh, the absence sound, of them sound, together. So that, yes. that was sound, that was sound, that was sound. That was more to do with sound because of the flames going off and then a crisp white sheet with her hand, beautiful hands on that. And then, you know, it's missing, you know, absence, as you, as you, as you said. So again, it's, 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 it's what the film, what the narrative is telling you, what the, what, what, what's happening to be alert and to be aware. Because you catch those things, they're like butterflies, and they're there, you've got to find them. Oh yeah, yeah, I can see it now. Because I don't do shot lists, because you have to find it. It's there, it's in the room. You know? And one of the things that I've loved about all your works is your is your comfort with discomfort. So in Hunger, I, mm -hmm. you know, one of my favorite shots, like this wide shot of Bobby talking to the priest, and you think we're gonna go across the room, but we're not. We like stay in this wide shot. And then in Shame, mm -hmm. one of the shots I love are uh, the, the 
Brandon and Sissy like wrestling and it feels like this incestuous, it feels like this is a hmm. transgression, you know, that we've seen before. And of course at 12 Years a Slave, there's a lynching scene where this man's like oh. towing himself, you know, keeping like towing himself into like life. And so I just want to know like, like as a director, like, like how do you know like when the shot is over or like how do you have, you know. Well, the first thing in Hunger with the two shot with the priest, Bobby Sands and the priest is a two shot. Uh, there's a two shot of Bobby Sands, a character played by Michael Fassbinder and and um, and and father um, father. I can't remember the father's last name. We had to change it because we did we could use a real father, but it was Liam Cunningham. To um, uh, the reason why we did like that, well, I I I, I did like them and, my, and Sean Bobbitt backlit it because okay, I want these two people like this and this. Almost like a, I want it was almost like a Connors McEnroe Wimbledon tennis final. Two Irish men wanting the same thing, but wanting it differently. You know, Bobby is a serve volleyer, McEnroe, and Connor's being the you know the baseline, looking for the long game. Um, but at the same time, the reason why I shot it like that was because I want. It's like I, I grew up with great radio. You know, we, I was very fortunate to grow up with great radio, like BBC Radio Four, whatever. So to hear was much more interesting. But we, because they were still far away, you paid more attention to what they were saying, so you lend in more. So that was so interesting for me that you know you you, you as as a as a as a audio audio and what they because what they were saying was life and death it was that important you know again with the troubles and and, 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 and you know what what happens is you, you violence happens and it becomes so extreme and then you stop and you start talking and after you be talking gets exhausted then it gets violence and it gets so extreme and then. You go back to talking again. So it's it's physicality and vocality um, within that shot, within that kind of idea. The next one was oh my goodness gracious, shame and the, and the fighting with the Michael and the uh, is when he's he's got his towel in his waist. That oh, like one, the brother and sister, yeah, oh, on the like, couch, on the couch, and oh, it's so good. uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Sorry, <laughs> well that was good because <laughs> yeah. that was good because uh, that because Kerry 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 Mulligan. Forgot her lines. She didn't know her lines, and then that was a good. You know how it is. You, you, you know, director. You sort of roll with the punches. But then she forgot her lines, and she and Michael had to do rehearsing. Whatever. She didn't forget her lines. She didn't. I don't know what happened. All kinds of things going on when, you, when you're young, isn't it? But she's not young anymore. She's a, she's a lovely lady now. Um, <laughs> but she was feisty. She was feisty. She's a. She was a. You know, she's just why she's a great actress. And then Michael's. Then he's talking, talking, talking. And then so a lot of that was improvised between the two. And then Michael sort of cajoling her. And then things happen from like, and then fucking Carrie came alive, you know? And it, it's, it, those were, that was the, one of the best things that I ever experienced with actress, actors, because it was just two great actors sitting on the couch, the camera's behind them. So you only saw their profile, you saw behind their back. And they were just dueling. And it was real, it was real. And Michael and she, and it, it, was, it was marvelous. And you know, we, we got it on camera, I was like, Thank God Kerry forgot her lines. One of your characters, uh, Reverend Wheeler, talks about the perils of a society, you know, without love, you know, and, and, and um, obviously, you know, this piece, this work, you know, at the core is, is, is like about that. And I just wanted, you know, obviously this work was made with an abundance of love from you. And I just, you know, wanted to thank you for your craft and thank you for, for being here. Well, it's the, only worth, it's the only thing worth living for, the only thing worth dying for, for we got. Yeah. It's the only thing we got, man. Yeah. yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you very, very much. That was great.
Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll have a lot more for you in the coming weeks as awards season approaches, including Q&As with directors Barry Jenkins, Peter Farrelly, and Jason Reitman. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying our podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.